Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. And I'm Alexander. And I am Haney. We are Needy in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 202, recorded on June 21st, 2022. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. And speaking about platforms, let's talk about a platform that makes sense, unlike the Intelligent <laughs> Data Platform. Alexander, take it away. You just had to, right? I think I made a good job. <laughs> I think you did. I mean, so th- there are two observations. One is, it is strange to hear you say this is episode 200 something. That's going to take some some getting used to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I love you for, for taking a swipe at the Intelligent Data Platform. <laughs> Anyways, so Power BI, again, has come out with the June updates. And there are uh, a few things, just the small things that I want to mention. One is the Canvas Zoom that we got, um, I think it was one or two months ago. So you can zoom on the Canvas in Power BI Desktop. That has now been extended to zooming in Teams. And that is kind of useful. So being able to, to zoom your, your um, reports in in Teams as well. Is that zooming per viewer? Or are you as a presenter zooming? No, when, when you're looking at the report inside of, of Teams or through mm-hmm. Teams, I should say, then mm-hmm. you can zoom. Um, so even my old eyes can actually see the visuals. <laughs> yeah, but, but can you zoom and then everyone will see what your eyes can see? Or can each viewer zoom on their own and find the best suitable zoom for them? Which we The can latter. If- the latter. Okay, that's Yeah, good. so the next time you're going to open the, the report, it's going to be back to, mm, to normal. Perfect, pretty much. Yeah. And then I think I've mentioned this. So composite models, when you connect Power BI to analysis services. So what you could do from 2019 was a live connection. A live connection means that you talk to the analysis services instance and you cannot bring in any other data source. With composite models, though, you can. So you can not only connect to an analysis services instance, and then you can bring in other uh, d- uh, data sources. This is possible to do on-prem as well from 2022. So just the other day, um, SQL Server Analysis Services, I can't remember which version it is, so it's one of the, the betas were released. And this means that it is possible to do composite models on something on-prem. There's also the Data Hub. The Data Hub is the new name for something something other hub um i can't remember i think it was the data set hub (laughs) feels like they made a good choice (laughs) yeah yes but the data hub is is more of an intuitive choice of of names i think and that's where you should be able or will be able to find all the different data sets and data sources and data marts and god knows whatever data in your organization so the data marts are going to be surfaced i think actually they've been surfaced in the data hub so it's one one-stop shop to find all your your data sources. And another thing that is not part of the June update, but I think it is enormous, is the fact that Deneb is now certified. So we have two ways of creating custom visuals. One is the chart ticketator, which is a graphical user interface to create visuals. Super cool, but it's graphical. There are some people that prefer to do things in code, like Haney. And Deneb gives you the ability to create visuals through code. And previously, Deneb was not a certified visual, so 
people that mm. did not want to touch third-party visuals, they couldn't use it. But now it is certified, and thus um, it's easier, not super easy, but easier to get um, companies to accept this uh, third-party visual. And then we have a number of blog posts, and, and Kurt is back at it again. And uh, he is a master at explaining things simply and clearly. So he started a new blog post, a blog series about the dimensions of self-service in Power BI, where he talks about the a couple of dimensions. So he has uh, service tooling, and he talks about primer tools and everything about self-service, what it is about, what kind of issues you will face, and how to figure out where your organization is on the scale, because it's not a linear scale. It's not everybody is super experts at Power BI and or everybody can't do anything in Power BI. It's it's always going to be a mix. And he walks us through all this, and I can't wait for the, the uh, third part. He just released the second part as well. So definitely go check that out. Speaking of blog posts, I did a thing. I did Ooh. a blog post. I, Whoa. I, it's almost that I can't remember how to do it, but uh, this one... <laughs> <laughs> as most blog posts was because of an issue that I found. And in short, when you create a scoped credential inside of SQL Server, Azure SQL Server, you're going to be using, or you can use a, a shared access signature from a uh, data lake. The, it, it's prefixed by a, um, a question mark. So when you bring it out of the, 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 the portal, it, it starts with a question mark. And here's the weird thing. When you create a scoped credential, it's fine to put in the question mark. If you alter it, you can put in the question mark, but it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's not supposed to be inconsistent. So I put in some, some uh, feedback, but since I hit that, there's a risk that other people find it, so I decided to do a, a blog post on it. And finally, when it comes to code, Phil Seamark has done unspeakable things to Power BI <laughs> through PowerShell. So calculation groups is a very, very powerful way of, of doing things in Power BI. I'm not going to go into what calculation groups are because they're, they're going to be here for a week. But the issue with calculation groups is that you cannot do them in Power BI Desktop meaning that you need to use a third-party tool such as uh, Tabular Editor to get calculation groups in there. Mm, what if your organization simply says no to third-party tooling? Then you're up shit creek because you cannot get calculation groups in there. Ah, not so fast. So what Phil shows in his blog is to how to create calculation groups through PowerShell. I showed this to a colleague. She ran screaming towards the hills. But it works, and it is kind of cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's more of a proof of concept, but I can see people using this down the line to, to come up with other, even crazier ideas. But it's, it's a good way of showing that, yes, you can actually talk to the XML endpoint through something else than a third-party already prepared tool, if you want to. Cool. And, and speaking about speaking to things, we have a really exciting news item in Defender for Endpoint. Speaking to or speaking 
about. Two. Hang on. It will make sense soon. That goes to your listeners as well. <laughs> so, as you might know, in Defender for Endpoint, if you have a compromised device, so someone tries to do something unmentionable to one of your managed devices, and a managed device is therefore a endpoint which are monitored by Defender for Endpoint. You can isolate that, which basically tells it block all incoming and outgoing traffic except from Defender for Endpoint. Makes sense, but it requires it to be managed. Now, imagine that you have an unmanaged device on your network. Either you know about it, but you for whatever reason don't want to monitor it using Defender for Endpoint, or it's actually a rogue device that someone has added to your network. You can now use a function or a action called contain, which tells all the other devices that are managed do not speak to this device, nor allow it to speak to you. So you find an endpoint, which are unmanaged, it does something malicious to your endpoints, and you tell them, freeze this bad boy out by containing it. That is quite an interesting concept and something that will be very interesting to see how it's put to use. Because then you prevent lateral movement from an unmanaged endpoint. That's cool. Speaking about names, we have a new Defender thing. <laughs> we have Microsoft <laughs> Defender for individuals. And is that that's... like a foil hat? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought Could you were be. going to say something uh, less child-friendly, uh, but uh, yeah, let's go for foil hats. Uh, Microsoft Defender for individuals is basically Microsoft Defender, but for consumers. Uh, and that now runs on all platforms. So if you are a Mac user, a Windows user, iOS, Android, doesn't matter, you can now run Windows Defender as an individual on all of your endpoints. Why is Microsoft doing this? Of course, they want to make more devices secure, but my more realistic reason is likely they want to gather more information. They want more data. They want to improve their entire overreaching service, and by looking at consumer devices as well, it should, in theory, improve services for everyone. Um, and then I would like to do the last What's New in Intune and Intune for Education for H1 of this year. Uh, and since we haven't spoken that much about Intune for Education, and it's not as feature, um, they are not announcing features as rapidly, I would say, in Intune for Education as they do in the regular Intune. Uh, I think it's, it's just looking at what they have released over the year. Because there are some things that Intune for Education does very neatly that the, the big Intune uh, makes a little bit more complicated. So over the year, uh, we have received a autopilot guided experience, basically a much simpler wizard that helps you configuring uh, Windows Autopilot for your devices. So you can do that as a teacher, is the theory. You also have a ready-made user interface to manage settings within Microsoft Edge and Google Chrome. 
So if you deploy Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge to your school devices, you have a much more simple interface where you can configure settings for those browsers, which is something I actually would think would be very useful for all Intune administrators, not just in education. And the last bit is for Microsoft Intune, so the non-education version of it, uh, where we now can add photo library as a protected app or a storage space on your mobile devices. So you can allow a protected app to actually have access to your photos and import photos from there, which is a very, very common workflow. So you take a picture with your phone that is in most um, management frameworks seen as a personal space. But in a lot of organizations, you do that as your workflow. And up until now, it's been very hard to protect access from the photos into your protected apps. But that, that is now possible on both iOS, iPadOS and Android. And the last bit is that we also now get reports uh, that will tell you the Windows Update compatibility for apps and drivers. So basically, it's a report that shows you, will my app break or not if I upgrade to a certain version of Windows? This were previously part of uh, desktop analytics, which has been deprecated and is scheduled to retire uh, later this year. And we now get reports showing you the same kind of data. And the last bit, and I think we should have at least a second of silence. Internet Explorer is dead. As of June 15th, after I think it's 27 years or something like that. So uh, I actually had one thing to add there because my wife came running uh, the other day um, and she, she showed me. So... Japan, this mm -hmm. extremely technologically savvy country mm -hmm. where you are almost forced to pay with cash. Um, a lot of the infrastructure and, and stuff runs on Internet Explorer. So there are Ooh. a number of really big companies, really big websites that just, yeah, they're up shit creek without a paddle and there's a huge hole in the boat because they require Internet Explorer. It's not like they've had, I don't know, decades to get out of it, but yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. So if you are using Internet Explorer, please stop doing that. You have had all the time in the world. You have known this for years. And if you haven't listened... It's on your end. It's not on Microsoft's. Maybe they're going to put the Internet Explorer inside of the Intelligent Data Platform as a reboot. <laughs> <laughs> no. That would be one will, option. <laughs> you, will, you will get that as a custom visual if you want a Internet Explorer skin on your report. Here you go. It's like Winamp. That's an idea. <laughs> I don't know if Alexander actually froze <laughs> or if it's just very still. Alexander looks a bit horrified by the idea. Oh, that would be such a brilliant idea. Can you do that with code? Moving on. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on to load testing. 
So I want to talk a little bit about Azure load testing. I actually checked. Uh, this came into public preview about in October, November-ish. And I mm -hmm. mentioned this in episode 166, which sounds like it's super far away, but we, <laughs> of course, did a thing with the numbering of the episodes. <laughs> so that helps. So it's not quite that far away. And it's been a little quiet on that front in the meanwhile. But now there has been like a burst of new capabilities coming in just recently. And I have to say, reading some of them, I'm just thinking, well, I do not know anything about load testing. <laughs> so if we have a load testing professional out there, it would be super cool to get somebody to talk about it. It's an area that I have no idea about. Except I have just a name. Excellent. I think we, yeah, uh, I think Benjamin Kettner does work ah, with this. So ooh. let's let's grab him. Excellent. He might be under heavy load. <laughs> but let's test. <laughs> well, now we can test him. So there is a few things that have come into public preview uh, since the service itself isn't generally available yet. And I'm just going to highlight the ones uh, a little more that I understand a little more about. So if you're putting in some input data for your testing, you could, for example, have a CSV input file that puts in some values. You can split that across different test engines. Because of course, if you're doing a lot of load on your website, you might need multiple engines to run that test on. There is also uh, so that you can set user-specified JMeter properties. And do not ask me what this means. I have no idea. It's but then, J meters. <laughs> this is so out of hand today. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to the portion that I actually understand. <laughs> so um, as with many of the Azure services, Azure does encryption of data for you. But now there is the customer managed keys available for also load testing if you need, want to use that and you have that requirement. So that is definitely something that we see across the scene for many Azure services coming in if, if it hasn't come in quite yet. And then also uh, Azure load testing support user assigned managed identities. So for example, if you need to fetch a, a secret in your test from a key vault, etc., you could do that with a managed identity. So just making things easier. And then the last portion that is related actually to testing that I can even understand <laughs> is that you can do a quick start test with just a URL, URL of your website and just put in how many users do you want to uh, impersonate that are coming to that URL Again, it's just coming to that URL. It's not any kind of user flow on the website, but it's a simple test to get started with. Can you choose whichever URL you want or has it? does it has to be inside of your tenant? Otherwise, I can see a lot of interesting use cases for external URLs. <laughs> I am not sure, but that's Ooh, a really interesting let's, let's try point. It. <laughs> let's try it. <laughs> And this I, is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yes, that's a very good point. If it enables you to test any URL. How Yikes. many <laughs> how many users can you scale it up to? 
quite many. Oh. <laughs> but of course, there's a price for that. So ah. you keep that in mind. It's not a free service. Then to a topic that I'm a little more comfortable with, which is Azure Container Apps. Uh, in the previous episode, we talked about it becoming GA, and it already has quite many nice features in it. And now also the custom domain support uh, came into general availability. It was in preview just previously still. So it followed a little, little behind, but now already out there. So if you have an application that you configure an ingress for, uh, so that you have an endpoint that you can reach it through, then you can have a dom custom domain name for that endpoint. And then lastly, the last item is Virtual Network Manager. And I saw this, uh, I came across this and saw that this has been added to new regions. And I was like, ah, not really that interesting. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, what is this service really about? So that's why I brought it here. And I did realize that I have mentioned this <laughs> previously as well. But it kind of brings this new service again to the networking side of Azure, where we have, of course, virtual networks that we can put into like a hub and spoke configuration, for example. And we have also the virtual WAN service that we can use to create complex scenarios. And now we have this thing called virtual network manager as well. So kind of my my thinking here was like, how does this actually fit in with everything that is out there already? So the virtual network manager for me seems more like a service we, we can use to manage our virtual networks more like on the policy level. So when you create this, you, for example, give it a scope. So you would specify that uh, you set this for a specific management group. So you need a management group also in place to be able to enable this. And then uh, after that, you have this management group there, and then you can create network groups under that. And you, that means just grouping together your networks. And once you have those groups, then you can assign policies to, to them. And you can assign connectivity policies that enable you to create mesh networking. So if you have a hub and spoke in a kind of a traditional way, when you set up peerings, you won't have transitivity. But with this, you would be able to have that enabled. So that's one part of it. And then the other other part of that is then uh, to put in place security configurations. So, so really to configure, is there certain openings in your networks or not? So for me, it seems more like a management service of your existing networks rather than something that so much provides uh, any new kind of connectivity into the picture. That that's kind of how it looks to me at this point. It sounds a bit like uh, many, many, many years ago, Cisco showed a pretty much the same thing as a, a policy-based networking. Essentially, you, you connect everything up with cables, but nothing can talk to anything until you start creating the policies and essentially build the, the, the connectivity through policies, mm -hmm. uh, which in turn gives a lot of, of interesting 
um, opportunities and interesting tooling that you really can't do with a, a normal networking. So I, I, I would agree that this is not anything better or worse. It's different mm. and it, it gives is. you another tool in the toolbox. Yeah, exactly. And actually behind the scenes, it, for example, creates Azure policy initiatives for its specific purpose and then uses those for the management. So that's an interesting part that it actually connects with the Azure policies as well. And that's nice because it means that it's not introducing any magic in order exactly. to, to get it to work, like Synapse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to Synapse. Yes, we will. Soon. Soon. And, and we will actually continue on the networking bit uh, and secure networking as well. Because I'm I'm actually going to to do something that makes sense for once, uh, and it's to start a small series in the focus segment where I will talk about different challenges and opportunities with working from anywhere, uh, if you so dis- if you desire to do so. And first up, and this wasn't scripted. I didn't I had didn't have a clue about what Haney was supposed to talk about. But let's talk about connectivity. So first question to you two. When you're out and about, regardless if you're in your country or traveling elsewhere, do you ever think of what networks you're using? And is there something you avoid or prefer? I can go first, and I think the the answer to that is, God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean... We, we we laugh about this, but this this is this is serious stuff. It is mm-hmm. irresponsible in my view to just whip up your laptop, sit down at an espresso house or, or coffee shop, whatever, and just use whatever network there is. It's just don't do that unless you have a pretty damn good VPN solution. Mm-hmm. That's my view. Yes, I, I won't get as expressive as <laughs> Alexander did in this case, but yes, I, I'm aware of the networks that I use. And uh, oftentimes, of course, it depends where, you're, where you are, whether you have very good options for the mm-hmm. networks that you are able to use. And sometimes, of course, it's a case of just make the best of what you have. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, things like if you are on a public public uh, network, you do need to then think about VPNs and somehow at least making it a bit more secure in that case. So do you trust any Wi-Fi network when you're out and about? Alexander's no sensor network. sounded like, <laughs> exactly, he trusts no network. And I don't think I either trust any public network out there. It's not mm-hmm. really trustable. No, and, and it's a very interesting question because I have received this question numerous times now, especially after the lockdowns or whatever we had in Sweden were lifted because now people are starting to travel again. And apparently mm-hmm. this wasn't something you thought of before the mm. pandemic. Uh, interesting. But my view of, of this is that I always, always, always use my phone for as long as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. I never use any public Wi-Fi's and I never use any of my customers' Wi-Fi's. The only Wi-Fi's I do trust are my own at home 
and my company's Wi-Fi. In any sense. other case, if I can avoid it, I will go to great lengths to avoid using any other kind of network. And it goes both ways. I don't want anyone listening to me or getting whatever I can get from the internet on my device. And I want to ensure that I minimize whatever risk I um, expose my customers mm. for. If uh, my machine, which might happen, I I'm, I'm, do not believe that I'm un, undefeatable. Uh, so I try to avoid that. Unhackable, yeah. Uh, so I, I think that's the, the first thing. And now since we have rather good roaming options within Europe, it works in Europe. It does. Most countries, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performance might be a little not as good, uh, but it still do work. And if I'm forced to use a Wi-Fi, I try to first ensure that it's actually a decent security on the network, not using just any open Wi-Fi that you can find and, and do not use airport Wi-Fis. <laughs> <laughs> Please, just, <laughs> just don't. Uh, but I, I do try my best to actually find a good authenticated network and when i do i also do use vpn uh, to protect that and and in general i'm more protective of my work machine than i am of my uh, personal machine and i might also be less protective with my phones even though i shouldn't be but they are usually connected to um, so i'm like that that's how i work around it but i try to use my phone because that's the most secure connection you can have so, speaking about that, and, and I do think that both of you work at rather small companies, and they are also rather new companies, or rather modern companies. Do you use any kind of remote connectivity tools? Like VPNs to connect to a network, or uh, remote desktop, or Citrix, or whatever? So we're, we're both consultants, yeah. and uh, I don't because I at the moment don't have a customer that has implemented any mm-hmm. anything like that. But a lot of my my um, my colleagues are using some kind of VPN. Mm-hmm. They range from state of the art to archaic, mm-hmm. uh, and some who are more cloud native, if you will, yeah. don't necessarily require a VPN because then mm-hmm. you just use use the the portal or whatever. So yeah. it, it really depends. Yeah, for us, it also depends mostly on the customer side. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our internal systems are very simple, so (laughs) meaning that we don't have many of them in that that way. So uh, most of the time, it's just connecting to a customer environment. If they have a VPN requirement, then that's a requirement. If not, then there's not. Yeah. And I I think we'll get back to that entire customer interaction thing soon, but... Those are the things that I usually, and I, I've been working with a customer now uh, on a uh, analysis of their future remote access strategy, uh, where I basically have said that you can first start by looking at remote connectivity and remote access in a couple of different ways. One is the general way. Basically, I have a device that I want to connect to a network somewhere else, because that's in practice what we do regardless of which technology we do use. Uh, 
But it's also important to remember the other way. So how the administrators that might have a management solution or many management solutions inside of a network connect out to your device. And then you also have a different kind of remote connectivity, which is basically how you connect to a SaaS solution somewhere else. It's not to your network, but you are outside of any possible protective measures that you have inside of your network. So you might or might not want to protect even that remote, doing air quotes here, access to SaaS applications using a proxy or something like that, which some of my customers require uh, that we do. And you can, of course, work with, with these different things, but I will focus for this focus segment on the first one, the, the common one, how you connect to something else, uh, where you basically have VPN, you have some kind of remote desktop thingy, or you publish things on the internet. And I, I won't lie, I work at a very big network infrastructure company. <laughs> That's their core. So they love VPNs. And I absolutely hate VPNs because they are in many cases wrongly configured and, and pose a bigger threat <laughs> than what they actually mm -hmm. solve. And the reason for that is that when you establish the VPN connection, you do that to a firewall, as an example. And that firewall usually sits very close to your server network. And if you aren't aware of what you're doing when you connect from your endpoint to that firewall, you might actually open up the big highway uh, to your servers or your infrastructure. So VPN is great, but you need to ensure that you actually think of what you're doing when you have a VPN tunnel set up. What I do prefer, if I need to do that kind of connectivity, are some kind of VDI or remote desktop because I do think it, it's a good way of explaining to a user, you are now doing something else. You are now with this virtual machine connected to a network, which is a different thing from whatever you're doing on your device. I think that makes most sense. And I do think that you have a better control. And it's also in many cases, much more performant than a VPN connection since you're sending less data over the, the connection. But I also do, um, and I'm an advocate for publishing things on the internet and protecting that with conditional access. So if you have an internal website, why require a VPN connection to that if you can ensure that, it, that you can safely publish it on in the internet and therefore minimize the openings you actually have to your network and instead publishing that endpoint to something. So which of those do you prefer? Are you a, a fan of VPNs because of whatever reason, or do you prefer the remote desktop style? Well, uh, somehow I have not been in many situations where I've had to use a remote desktop option, actually. I need most to talk to your time. customers. <laughs> yeah, uh, most of the time that hasn't been needed. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've been working with VPNs, um, a lot that seems to be kind of the default way of connecting to environments in Finland at least mm -hmm. that is maybe more traditional I know there's a lot of remote desktop setups as well but they are often for specific 
uh, services or environments that mm -hmm. often do not have to do with managing the infrastructure, for example. Yeah. So uh, they've been more to the maybe an end user of some specific application or something like that. So mm -hmm. I haven't really had a chance to use those so much uh, myself. But um, yeah. A couple of years back, we um, I was working for a university at the time, and they gave us um, Citrix desktops mm -hmm. um, to be accessed remotely. And the idea is is wonderful, I think, mm -hmm. because as you say, you, you minimize the traffic, you definitely control what's on the client. And in our case, that was also the reason why it didn't work out, mm -hmm. because there was no such thing as one client fits all. No. And especially if you're dealing with admin types, mm -hmm. like I was at the time, we whined like you would not <laughs> yeah. believe because our favorite blah application was not available. <laughs> so it, that gives Welcome you to my new, life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it gives you a new set of problems to manage. Mm -hmm. And the other side is, I think that VPNs are viewed as this instant solution to everything just like in the old days mm -hmm. when if you had a firewall you were safe <laughs> everything was all yeah. right with the world you had a firewall you were good and now as long as you have a vpn well see above everything is mm -hmm. good in the world and i think that is the more dangerous question that needs to be raised which you're, you're kind of circling around mm -hmm. in a bit with with this and and do you remember uh in i think it was in the beginning of the pandemic when someone hacked the um, some local or no, some healthcare provider in Italy. That was done through a home machine that were using a VPN straight into the network. So if you're allowing that kind of traffic, ensure that you use network segmentation, that you know exactly what you're doing, that you understand the needs, and then you're in the same situation as with the remote desktop or Citrix solution because you might end up in a situation where I can't do my job because you have segmented the network in a way that doesn't fit me. And then you have the same challenge. So of course things are easy if you don't care about security. Then, <laughs> Or if you not care about users, then they're easier. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's, like, it's like my anti-triangle that I'm starting to advocate now, where you have- Anti-triangle? Yeah. Uh, Was that uh, like a circle? <laughs> No, but, but I'm, I'm actually quite pleased with this. Um, you know the triangle when you, when you do um, uh, project management, you need to uh, prioritize cost, quality, time. Uh -huh. I've, I've kind of uh, created my own version of that. Uh, which I don't know. Yeah, so where, where you need to balance stupidity, laziness, and... Um, Cheapness? Yeah, cheapness. <laughs> so are you supposed to be sheep, stupid, or lazy? <laughs> I think the answer to that Good question point. is yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> exactly. Um, so think through your remote access strategy. Whatever you do, secure it as much as you can. You can use Microsoft Intune. You can use conditional access. You can use all bits within Azure AD to secure most VPN solutions to secure 
all the known EUC solutions. And the last bit that I need to mention, when you have secured everything and everything is done, the worst thing I know is when you first are required to connect with a VPN and then you get a remote desktop connection. It's like, come on. Yes. <laughs> it's like using two foil hats. Uh, you, you don't have to do that. So, so you, please, you're good with just one foil hat? One foil hat is more than enough, I would say. Okay. Uh, so think through Sounds your reasonable. remote. Yeah. So think through your remote access strategy. Ensure to secure that in a good way with the tools you probably have, and it will work with any remote access solution you have. And do not try to put on layers upon layers upon layers, because then you will ruin both security and the user experience. So you need to choose which one of those two you should ruin. <laughs> well, I, I'm a person that's absolutely convinced that you do not have to prioritize one or the other. That I'm absolutely convinced that you can have a great user experience and any kind of security requirements that you might have. It's, it's just ensuring that you balance the level of security to suit the user's requirements of security. If you have a user that doesn't work with any kind of sensitive data, and we have spoken about this in previous episodes, you don't have to have the same level of security as someone that might have the nuclear codes in their OneDrive. In their OneDrive? <laughs> yeah. That might actually be another alternative name. <laughs> nuclear codes in your OneDrive. Yeah. The, the problem with that would be that uh, we're going to get a, a phone call from... Well, well, (laughs) so let's completely shift gears because we're, so I'm going to, I'm going to say this, this is the last episode before the Mm -hmm. summer break. Yeah. So that's why it's going to be slightly longer. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know, right? There will be a long break. I definitely did not just make that up. Yeah. Because this is going to be the last episode well it's not really no not quite. it's going to be the last regular episode mm-hmm. before the summer break more about that in a bit so we have a lot planned for the fall like a lot it, it kind of feels like you, you pull a cork from a bottle mm-hmm. and everything just pours out um, because um, I'm going to be going let's see Data Scotland on September the 2nd. I am going to Data Saturday in Oslo the week after, September the 10th. And then I'm going to Power BI Next Step, September 20th. And then Data Minds Connect in October. And Haney, you're going to be around as well. Data Scotland, right? Yes, I'll be at Data Scotland and then... uh and I'm going to take a little bit of a vacation after that. Ooh. So that's why I'm not going everywhere. <laughs> I'm going In to Scotland, go and relax. Through Scotland to Portugal. Uh, <laughs> so it's like warmer. Yeah. yeah, through Scotland to Portugal. Uh, geography was never your thing, or was it? No, but I'm starting my vacation right after Data Scotland. So going straight to the vacation from there. 
So. Alexander, I, I can think of two instances where both you and I have flown to, Hels- to Helsinki and to Riga through Amsterdam. So I think going through Scotland to Portugal, if you're coming from Finland, isn't that odd, to be honest. It's at least starting in a westerly direction. Yeah, it's just going west and then south. Instead of <laughs> so, so, southwest. Thank you for explaining this to me. <laughs> Everything is much clearer now. <laughs> You know, when, when you were going in school, the, the earth was flat, so. <laughs> I, I think I left this whole world tour in the midway at this conversation. So I will also be going to Data Minds Connect in October then. And the neat thing there is that both myself and Alexander are actually doing pre-cons. Ooh. Yes, that's going to be super exciting. Um, it's my first pre-con. Haney, mm-hmm. you've done Precons previously? One. <laughs> <laughs> One is way more than zero, so... Yes. Uh, but it's, it's going to be fun to um, to finally get to put everything together when it comes to data storytelling, um, data visualizations, um, the whole untruthful art, how to communicate information and all that stuff. So it's going to be a one day, a maximum of 12 people, um, mm-hmm. and they're going to be... They're going to be doing a lot of work for themselves because I will teach them basic presentation skills and, and all that stuff. So it's going to nice. be an intensive day and I'm very much looking forward to it. Are you doing the same precon that you did in Stockholm? Yes. So we're, well, not the same, but same title, same-ish <laughs> title, same-ish content. Uh, I will be doing a full day on infrastructure as code. Mm-hmm. Surprise, and Terraform specifically, and I have a few neat things that have been added. So really excited to crank it, crank it up a notch, I guess. Nice, really nice. And what about Simon? Well, uh, I'm not allowed to disclose everything I'm doing uh, so far, but uh, I think I have ten trips in the fall. <laughs> Or something like that uh, outside of Sweden uh, but uh, we, we spoke about Janak in San Diego I think last episode uh, so I will be speaking there end of September but first we have the AVD Tech Fest which um, I'm organizing together with Patrick Köhler in Amsterdam on September 1st that will be so much fun uh, and, and the registrations are looking really good so um, it will be a fantastic day and then the week after I'm speaking at Agile Disrupt uh, in Stockholm, which my employer are also sponsoring. Uh, but that will be great fun uh, to finally get back to an Agile event. And then, or and then. before that, before that, we are doing something together. Yes. Yeah, it, it's going to be absolutely f- fantastic and hilarious. Yeah. So. <laughs> Andy Cutler um, reached out. Uh, he's one of the organizers of Data Toboggan. And he asked us if we would consider maybe doing a podcast episode for Data Toboggan. I think I spent about six seconds deciding before I said, yes, absolutely yes. And then I asked the two of you. <laughs> um, fortunately, you said the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to be doing a, a video episode it's going to be pre-recorded because i'll be in london when um data toboggan is is happening but we are going to be joined by andy cutler and we'll have a 50 45 50 minute discussion about synapse Mm -hmm. and what's perfect is the fact that 
Simon doesn't know synapse, and that is a good thing in this case. That's a great thing, because Simon would be moderating and asking questions, and it's up to us to explain things in a way that makes sense to him. I'm, I hesitate to say that he'll understand, but that's kind of what I meant. <laughs> yeah, it will be great fun, and, and uh, it can't be worse than the last time me and Alexander tried to do a video thing. If you want to watch that... <laughs> Search on Needipin Tech on YouTube and um, <gasps> you, you <laughs> is probably the thing I'd add there. Yeah, probably. It, it's it, it's horrible. It's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, so th- it would be great fun. Uh, and uh, I think it, it's. I, I was about to say that we have matured. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's true. You want to revisit that word? Uh, no. No, Uh, I could say grown up Uh, doesn't work either. Uh, No, aged well doesn't work either. (laughs) So let's stop at aged. Yeah, aged. Uh, But I do think it's time. Uh, So it will be a lot of fun, and I will learn a lot, and you will learn how to explain things so that even I have a chance of understanding it. Yeah, challenge accepted. And the event is. Like, if you're looking for more serious content, there, <laughs> there is a full day of other Synapse content on July 9th for Data Toboggan. And I'm actually also doing another session there with... Is that going to be more serious? Yes. It is Azure AD after all, so... Ooh. Yeah, you very serious. make fun of that. Oh, no. you can. So it's no, a lot of fun. no jokes in there. <laughs> okay, none. Well, it, it's very Finnish in that case. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Did you did you look at the the schedule, by the way, for Data Tomorrow? I did. Um, so the slot uh, where we speak, um, who else is on that same time? Did I completely misread the schedule? It's I don't know. It's just us. Oh, oh, it's just us. Yes. That that's what I thought. But oh, yeah. I, I think the goal should be that we are the most popular session. Yes. Just to set set the set the bar, <laughs> and popular exactly. as most viewers, I'm not expecting us to get anything other than one star out of five. <laughs> You're really building things up, Simon. Yes, high expectations. I, yeah, I need to be boring now so I sound fun when we actually do the next. You don't need to try, Simon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're good as it is. Yes. I. <laughs> I think it's more, I'm as good as I can be. And it's not <laughs> oh. enough. <laughs> it's never enough. What's What will you do over summer? I will spend the majority of time, I think, at the, the airfield. Hmm? Uh, I'm going to do a lot of flying. I have a couple of trips uh, planned. And I will have enough hours to progress to the next uh, level of my flight training. Nice. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Any? Cool. Uh, well, I'll be keeping the main chunk of my holidays in September. Mm. So uh, I'll be working much of July, actually. But there's always some bike rides to toss in there and some yep. bouldering and some time at the summer cabin and so forth. So how about you, Simon? Kayaking, I hope. Uh, spending a lot of time out and about. Uh, doing my first swim run in... Ooh almost yeah, less than two weeks 
Um, so if I survive that, I will also be <laughs> having my my last uh, my my last week of work will be in Almedalen, where mm. I will be talking about cybersecurity. That will be a lot of fun. And like I I told my colleagues that when I told my wife that I'm, okay, I'm going to Gotland, I'm going to Almedalen, which for the ones that doesn't know it, it's the biggest political thing in Sweden every year. So all of our parties are there. The entire like everyone that's someone and me uh, are there. So my, my wife's first thought were, okay, you, so you're going to Gotland, which might be of interest to certain countries from a defense point of view. And I was like, yeah, but I do think it's secure. And now there were a Russian Corvette um, outside of the Danish equivalent uh, last week. So I'm just hoping that they will try something similar for, for Almedalen so that I get to see a supersonic Jaskripen for the first time in my life. I see. <laughs> and I do hope that I also can convince Alexander to upload all of our old Needy in Tech episodes to Spotify so that our listeners have something fun to enjoy during the summer. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's continue that conversation offline, shall we? Yes. So, um, speaking of on- offline, we're going to go on vacation, essentially. We're going to uh-huh. take a break from uh, recording the, the episodes. We're going to be doing the Data Toboggan one, but that's that's it, essentially. And I think we were talking about coming back in September, so essentially leaving July and, and August as quiet months. So we'll see how much Haney will be able to join us in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm sure she'll be more than happy to bring the microphone with her <laughs> to wherever she goes. No. Apparently no. not. Not this time. <laughs> Huh. No, but uh, we'll be back in September with new content and new people to talk to. And as you all know, if you turn your back on Azure, something's going to change. And if you spend two months away from Azure, a lot is going to change. And the things we've seen in the crystal ball are just enormous. Things coming down the pipe are just enormous. Uh, So we were not going to be dying of boredom anytime soon, I think. And on that, anything I should add or we should add? No, it's been a a great first half of 2022 and I look forward to the next half. Uh, And uh, we will have more events to cover, more interesting people to speak to and a lot of interesting news to share. And the one thing that I really hope um, is that the data toboggan thing will uh, be successful. Because yeah. I would love to do more live, especially if we're able to do, to go to a conference and do a live, um, there we go again, a live recording, <laughs> a, a live episode with audience. That would be yeah. just fantastic. So if you happen to have a conference and need some kind of uh, entertainment for a lunch <laughs> or toilet break, please feel free to reach out. <laughs> That's how you're selling us. <laughs> and on that bombshell, it is definitely time to end thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful summer we'll be back in two months and until then have a good one bye 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 thank you for listening to this episode of need even tech need even tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by alexander abitson simon binder and heini hilmaninen if you have any feedback questions or would like to be part of an episode please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at